0: That would take a lot of the pressure off of uh, small businesses to have to contribute to a fund where they're already pressed for money anyway. Um, And then when you look at things like Femisphere or GirlGov, it's really saying, you know, hey, we don't have all the answers here at WGF. You guys are doing the work on the ground and in your own kind of neighborhoods and respective places. So how can we kind of work together for a common ground? And that's really been kind of my approach. It's really, you know, meeting people where they are. So yeah. if you've ever done any social work classes, um, that's a big, huge thing. It's just meeting people where they are. Yeah. And that's what at WGF, at least through um, my work and my department, that's where I've been. I want to meet people where they are and we can move forward from there.
1: And so when you're working with girls as part of Girl governor let's talk a little bit about that. Because I think right now is a time when oh my gosh, women yes. are feeling more like they need to get involved. They mm-hmm. have to get involved. Like maybe in the past you have wanted to or maybe have... You know, maybe toyed with the idea, but the focus seems so much more. When there weren't really resources right, either to right, support, exactly. even if you wanted it's to. Twenty years ago, storm, right. right? Whether the resources are finally available, the knowledge the mm-hmm. base is finally available, and the, there's a real pressing feeling of need. So, how do you talk to, um, or how do you engage with young girls who want to be part of the process, or maybe already are part of the process, and help them focus their efforts? I mean, is that? I have to imagine that's a big part of you know, morale boosting has to be part of it, too. I'm sure that Mm -hmm. that, that's not easy work. But how do you get younger girls and, you know, girls who are not quite women, but really want to be part of the conversation? How do you get them and keep them motivated? How do you get them, you know, to really show them that this work can have value and, you know, where they can where they can take it?
0: I think one of the greatest things. So Amir Hunt is our GirlGov program manager, and she's just like She's part-time superhero. She's (laughs) great. Um, But one of the things that I've had the luxury of doing, and I've really been intentional because I thought it was such an important part of my life growing up, is having someone, whether it's a relative or just someone in your community, ask how you're doing and how you're feeling about Mm. certain issues. And, you know if I see that the president or Congress has done something during the day, um, asking the girls what they think about that. And oftentimes they've got so many opinions. And I I think that we as like, I don't want to say we're old here because we're not, but us as their elders um, oftentimes think that, you know, they're not paying attention and that they don't have any opinions or cares. Like they're, they're woke, like they're organizing on their own. And I think it's our responsibility as adults and folks that have kind of been through it is just, you know, To make that connection to them, oftentimes it's just, you know, hey, I've got a friend that works for a congressional office. I will happily email them on your behalf and say, you know, it'd be great if you could meet with some of our girls. They're really spectacular. And even if they say no, one of the things that you see is that the girls specifically are just very excited that someone is willing to be an ally and an accomplice in that work. And help them get the job done. I so love I love the word that's accomplice.
1: So, that's perfect. I know. That's really what it is. Too. So I
0: actually, I got this, uh, it was Simone Sanders. She did a, mm. a presentation at the August Wilson Center. And she had the greatest quote ever and I've just been using it. But it's like, you know, I don't really care about allies. They're great. And I'm paraphrasing, but I want an accomplice. And when you're an yeah. accomplice, like you're in the trenches doing the work. Yeah. And I think that's so critical, especially as like women and like citizens really trying to advocate and move policies forward.
1: Yeah. What is it about the current um, political environment that you think is, um, why is there that sense of urgency right now for, for oh, so many please. women? But let's, but I, I want to hear. Why it, like, is there why, a sense of urgency? I don't why know. why think of it, but what are, <laughs> what are you hearing from women though? Why are they, because it's a very, you know, just, some of the reporting I've done Mm -hmm. on women, why they run for office, why they don't run for office is they're really worried about the demands on their personal time. They're really worried about, you know, their personal lives being put on display, being attacked. You know, that's a very real part of being part of the political process. So why are they, what are you hearing from women who want to be, Mm -hmm. have finally decided, you know, enough is enough. What are you hearing from them that they're willing to, hey, these things aren't going away, except there's going to be this level of scrutiny on you. Why is it so Why is it different now? What are you hearing from them? I mean we sort of have we have our you know take on it. we sort of know why we think, but what do you hear from them because it's I read something really no, super agree. interesting today about how women are running for office differently they 're not mm-hmm. running for office the way men do they're not mm. they 're running it, it, they're making it personal rather than keeping their personal eyes out of it and being a polished finished mm-hmm. candidate they 're making it personal they 're talking about their child care issues they 're talking about their elder care issues or their problems they know family members who have opioid addiction struggles. So they're making it very personal. And so what are you hearing from them about? Like what is it in their personal lives that's sort of making them or or, or giving them this sort of, feeling that they have to do something and they have to run.
0: So I think it's it's a couple of things. I think just traditionally in politics, like women have thought they need to be the perfect candidate. So they need to have yeah. a PhD in like rocket science and psychology. You'd be senator from like, New
1: York and Secretary
0: of State. Yeah, and you, you need to have this perfect kind of pedigree. Then, yeah. Know, yeah. And yeah. and be groomed essentially. Mm-hmm. And we saw with I'm, um, you know, however folks may feel about uh, Secretary Clinton, like that's not the case. Right. So And, you know, even um, Western Pennsylvania is actually a prime example of this where folks kind of are are legacy candidates. So they're picked 10 years before they're going Mm -hmm. to run. And then someone Mm. is grooming them, taking them to places, connecting them with folks. So there's little chance of a new fresh face candidate coming in. And traditionally and unfortunately, voters have just fallen in line. What you see from women now is like, hold up, like, wait a second, like, this process no longer works and let me tell you why. These folks that are elected don't reflect my values, they Mm -hmm. don't reflect my views, and they don't have my experiences. And I know, I know from my own personal experience that, you know, there are more folks out there like me Mm -hmm. than there are like, you know, ex-politician who tells me about the issues but doesn't really care about them. Isn't experiencing the issues. Exactly. exactly. And we're taking ownership of that.
2: And it was funny. I was talking to a woman recently and she's – the head of a big department for a a large company, and she said to me, men are hired based on their potential and women are hired based on their accomplishments.
1: Absolutely. Do
2: you think that is going to translate into the political sphere as well when you see these? Because from what I've seen so far, I don't know, because it seems like a lot of these new faces are women that haven't really been in politics before and they seem to be finding their way through, but do you think there's any merit to that statement? So I
0: think it's how you define like accomplishments, Mm. right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of folks might say, you know, you can have X, Y, Z degree or, or, you know, the pedigree to do it, or you can have the person that's been in those community meetings that has helped advocate for, mm-hmm. you know, a policy to get through it or a change in how government is doing business. And I think that's carrying more weight, mm-hmm. per se, than someone else who maybe has been a little bit further removed. I think, you know, you see what happened in New York and even, yeah. even locally with yeah. uh, Sarah and Murado and some really they were doing work in their communities long before they decided to run Mm -hmm. and I think even both of them will talk about how they were looking for someone else to run in those seats Mm -hmm. and finally they got to the point where they're like you know what I'm just (laughs) gonna do it which I also think is very funny that it takes women so long to get over that hump of just saying yes that they're going to run Mm -hmm. but they went out there and did it and they did it based on their beliefs in certain policies Mm -hmm. their desires to get business done in a certain way and the work that they'd done in the communities and the stories they heard like they weren't removed they were actually in on the ground doing the work and they decided to take that work that they were doing and elevate it to a different level
2: how do you think what do you think the difference is between how we've touched on a little bit but between how women are running their campaigns as opposed to the traditional way that things have been run and then are these young girls that are part of girls girl gov are they noticing this are they are they thinking about how they might run and do you have those conversations with them So we do have conversations with them, and I can honestly say we always
0: joke whenever um, we as staff get the opportunity to talk about them, like someone in this group and this cohort is going to run for president or higher office. Like we just know it. (laughs) We don't know when and we don't know what time, but they're so brilliant and so smart. And they've actually – so as a part of GirlGov, they run year-long kind of policy and advocacy Mm -hmm. campaigns. And one of the campaigns that the girls are working on was – it was around menstrual equity. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that they did to end the year is that they we were able to get them a meeting with county executive Rich Fitzgerald. So now, like, ideally in a perfect world, like, menstrual products will be provided at county parks. So when you go into a county park bathroom, there'll be no charge for you to, you know, get the, the product that you need. And I think that's so huge because, you know, how many people think about that as a barrier right. when that's a huge barrier for a lot of folks as to whether or not they'll they'll go to a park or they'll enjoy a county service that they're paying for? And these girls tackled it based on their experience and their schools and their homes um, around what needs to be done to make Allegheny County most livable for all. So I think you see what the girls like they're doing it in their own way and on a smaller level, but that can always translate to running for higher office one day or a larger statewide policy change.
2: And I think too, when you see that you actually made an impact, right? That must just so give you that match. sense of pride and that sense of, like, oh my gosh, this, this is really possible. Right. You know, we could actually do something here yeah. because, you know, obviously, people are now looking at the status quo as just that, and and there there wants to be this this urgency and this 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 wanting for a fresh, uh, new way of looking at things. But I think people are still. Uh, there's still trepidation, especially because there's so many generations just living together on this, in this yes, country at yeah. this point. But I have to—I want to I wanna get a little more personal. I want to ask you your thoughts. So now that uh, Anthony, uh, the the ju- Supreme Court Justice Anthony, is leaving, what do you think? is going to happen and do you really think and I know you and Heather have had this conversation uh, do you really think that Roe v. Wade could really be in jeopardy?
0: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that I I actually take that a step back that even Mm -hmm. prior to um, Justice Kennedy saying he was going to retire that like as of you know Mm -hmm. November 2016, a lot of folks in the space thought that Roe v. Wade and more specifically reproductive health Mm -hmm. um, access was in jeopardy. And I think what you see now is there are so many folks organizing on the ground and whether or not someone's um, anti-abortion or pro-choice, like at the end of the day, this is about women's health care access. And we can't continue to play political games, um, to get political points. And I don't know why there's political points attached to this um, mm-hmm. around women's health care access. We really need to center the conversation around that.
1: Because what's happened has been gradual, right? It's that sort of slow right. drip of making it harder to get to a clinic, making mm-hmm. clinics have these outrageously oh God, difficult yeah. and labyrinthine requirements to be able to perform abortions. If they're going to, you know, they, there's so much, so many barriers put in the way of it that it's making it harder and harder and harder. So do you think we're going to continue down that sort of chipping away at it or Absolutely. do you think it's going to be a one fell swoop?
0: I, I think you're going to continue saying, um, you know, what you see now, whether it's certain states in the South that might only have one clinic mm. that provides abortion care, uh, whether it's, you know. Attacks on the Affordable Care Act around mm-hmm. whether or not women, uh, an employer can provide birth control. Mm-hmm. All of these things like um, I tell people all the time like policies aren't made overnight and yeah. policy change mm-hmm. isn't made overnight. And what you see is a lot of this taking place. So we can probably count over, I would argue, over the past year, at least 10 times where there's been conversations about women's health, reproductive health care access and removing some right that women mm-hmm. once had. And everyone said, well, you know, it's OK, like because we have Justice Kennedy or because Roe v. Wade is like the status of the land. And what happened with Justice Kennedy retiring is a lot of folks woke up and you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot more movement on both sides around, well, what are we going to do when this happens? Yeah
1: so what are we going to do when this happens? Like what, Keep what hiding. is yeah. Keep like, fighting. Yeah. Like, like I'm, well, you know, no, I'm I know, but it's concerned. like, and, and for real, you know, because I know a <laughs> because, lot of, yeah. a lot of friends who are like, okay, go get an IUD or a lot of friends are like, I'm going to buy uh, you know, a certain amount of the morning after pill. So I have some in case someone I know needs it. So, so, you know, what, what are the steps that, you know, as someone who I'm not in a position where I'm going to necessarily need to, to have this medical procedure performed personally in the near future. But, what can I do as someone who wants to make sure this is available to anyone who does need it or does want it? But How I do we? There's make also sure this we preserve thin that.
2: veil, too, that this is just, you know, this is a racist policy and it's also a policy of that course. affects, you know, disproportionately affects women that are yeah. uh, living in poverty as well. So it's of like, course, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, <laughs> Even if abortion became illegal tomorrow, most likely abortion still, still happen. They're right. gonna still happen, but yeah. a rich white woman would find somebody right. to be able to give her one safely Certainly. and she'd have to pay for it, but whatever. Yeah. But what's gonna end up happening is more women are just going to die. Right. I, I don't understand this thinking yeah. that, that oh, if we just make it illegal suddenly, right. will just go stop. away. Right. Yeah. You know, I remember my grandmother was my grandmother's like so catholic okay just the most catholic and she i mean let's go to church and do a rosary before mass catholic and she was staunchly pro-choice her whole life and i remember having this conversation with her and it was because her mother assisted in back alley abortions before they were ever legal and she said we can never ever go back to that like her hearing these stories that her mother her being part of these stories that mm. we think of is history long ancient ago history. it's not that ancient it's not oh, that yeah. long ago and it could and and there are still women t- right now that can't afford healthcare services and that are taking measures into their own hands and and the results are not are not good for them
0: and i would actually Argue that a number of people that fall on maybe the anti-abortion side mm-hmm. have a really like lackluster memories as to like yeah. what this was like, and nor do they actually have an understanding, in my opinion, mm-hmm. of history and specifically right. reproductive yeah. justice history. Right. What we can do at this point, I think we need to get out there and support organizations yeah. like Planned Parenthood, especially Planned Parenthood advocacy organizations mm-hmm. that are holding politicians accountable, raising money and supporting um, supporting candidates that are going to champion reproductive justice. Yeah. Secondly, continue being educated about the issues. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times politicians use this as just political talking points mm-hmm. and try and yes. score political points. Yeah. When at the end of the day, it's not about whether, you know, XYZ person like would personally have an abortion. Right. It's about providing health care to women. It's exactly. the women's health care issue. Yes. And to have conversations like abortion is not going to exist with the overturn of Roe v. Wade if that happens, mm-hmm. is just like it's it's intellectually irresponsible in my exactly. opinion. And we as the people need to hold our politicians and our government to a higher standard mm-hmm. and support the groups that are doing the work on the ground and mm-hmm. organizing to make sure that women's reproductive justice and we- reproductive health care is put front and center and protected.
2: I remember when we had Latasha DeMais on yes, uh, yeah. and, and she discussed and, and she's a big champion for reproductive justice. And she's stuff. a big like champion. Well, she yeah. is. The, yeah. yeah, she's the queen. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> and I mean, love her. And, but but she talked about it in a way that I really hadn't thought about it before, which was how reproductive justice is economic justice yes. as well. Yeah. And how if you don't have control over that fundamental issue or just over your body, you can't control your life. You can't control you know, what, what happens to you moving forward. And so looking at it from that perspective too, I thought was really interesting taking, you know, sort of the, the passionate and personal angle out of it and looking at it too, is just economics, you know, that, that, that if we hold women back, we're holding back a large part of a productive workforce that then can't make choices that can better their lives. And then if they do decide to have a family later on, those children then will be better taken care of.
0: There's definitely a business case for Mm -hmm. it, right? So we can talk about, you know, when women decide to have children, Mm -hmm. I think is important, where they decide to have those children, at what stage in their career do they have these children, at what stage on the economic, um, on the economic spectrum, are they having this? Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, you see abortion um, women who are getting abortions this is not the first time they've been pregnant this is not they're you know they're not casually doing this a Mm -hmm. lot of times these are economic decisions that women are Mm -hmm. making because they cannot afford in america to have a child Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. if if we want to talk about being pro-life i think that like let's start at that point like why are folks unable to afford and even think about um, when they want to when they want to have a child in their life and how they want to do that and that being again this political football that people toss yep. all the time when it's life or death for a lot of people and yeah. it's the choice of whether or not they can feed themselves yes. or feed their other children and yeah. that's a conversation I think that if we can if we can move it that way and mm-hmm. add a little empathy like we were talking I think that gets us a lot further than talking about whether or not someone is good or bad on the morality spectrum exactly having an abortion
2: yeah. well and, and to your point to circle back with the the paid leave issue that in and of itself would really be a pro-life issue right I mean and and same thing with very basic yeah and same thing with universal health care same thing equal pay for equal work I mean these are all issues that allow all of us to have a better quality of life
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and I wonder like do you think that it's you know I think the party that is anti-abortion is very good at branding right they're good at calling something what they want it to be, pro life. They're very good at that. Do you think shifting the conversation means not allowing that branding to be what it's called? You know, because I, I sort of Framework. struggle with that. Framework is mm-hmm. so important. Anti choice. It, it's just anti choice. It's anti choice. Right? And I think app, even not even just talking about abortion, but I think in general, they're very good at labeling something, repeating that talking point, and sticking to it, whatever mm-hmm. they call. You know, an abortion after a certain, you know, Mm -hmm. stage in pregnancy, that's what it's going to be called because they, how do we help shift the conversation so that we can call this, this is a life-saving medical procedure for a woman Mm -hmm. who is in late stage pregnancy and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's none of your business why, Mm -hmm. but this is a life-saving medical procedure. You see, I get really fired up about this. So... How do we change the, because I think the word choices and the way we talk about it Mm -hmm. is really, really important. And I think that may be a little bit of a missed opportunity in some ways that we don't push back against that. So how do we start having those conversations about what we call things and how we refer to things? Was that some of what Femisphere was?
0: So Femisphere is really focusing on, um, or is really focusing, mm-hmm. excuse me, on the 77% of single household, or single moms in poverty that are head of households mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh, which, I mean. That is a staggering number. It's, I, actually, major. I take it back. It's 78%. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and that, I mean, you can think about, like, the living in poverty takes away a lot of opportunities and Mm -hmm. you don't have the same opportunities for education. Childcare is a huge hurdle, Mm -hmm. transportation, housing, et cetera. There's all these barriers put in place and Femisphere ideally was created to develop a system, a Femisphere essentially, where Mm -hmm. women have everything they need to thrive for them and their families. Um, But back to your point where you were saying, I think that what you bring up is a really important point. Mm -hmm. Um, Education is huge. And I would argue that I don't think a lot of people have really wrapped their heads around what it means to be Mm -hmm. um, Mm anti-choice and the barriers that that's put in place and how much harder it is to raise a child in America today or even make the choice to raise a child. So a lot of folks are living paycheck to paycheck and I would even argue less than paycheck to paycheck and having a conversation, um, having a moral conversation without talking about universal health care access to clean water, good Mm -hmm. environment, um, is irresponsible, totally irresponsible. What I think that those that of us that our pro choice can do is we really need to hold our politicians accountable, especially yeah. the mm-hmm. ones that maybe run on uh, one political ticket, but have used this as an opportunity or have used it as an opportunity to not be fully on board mm-hmm. with women's health care. Yeah. And I think too many times that um, one political party specifically has given a pass to those politicians. I'm and unfortunately, an in win. particular in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh,
0: accurate. And I think that. Um, <laughs> I love all this
2: coding <laughs> happening.
0: <laughs> we all know. Um, <laughs> but it, it, the it's totally dinner. irresponsible <laughs> it's so irresponsible mm-hmm. because what happens is that politician might get into office and immediately flip script sure. and yeah. become it the just biggest one
1: vote right one vote
0: yeah one vote yeah. and that's you know an ill-informed vote that's Playing party politics, and we have to stop that. Like this is a healthcare conversation, yeah. and we need to have this conversation in the healthcare sphere and also in the
1: economic justice sphere. Yeah.
2: So, when are you planning on running for president? Honestly, because I would
1: vote for you. I'm just saying. I keep telling Natalie she has to run. <laughs> she does
2: need to run. Right? She does need to run. I would
1: manage the hell out of you, Oh my god.
2: Yes. Oh, someday I would Kim. even wear a dress.
0: Yes. <laughs> Why are you cracking
2: me up? I love it. I love it. No, but in all seriousness, do you ever think of? Entering the world of politics at some point in your life? Oh, absolutely! That's um, awesome. I
0: forget who it says, but it's like a woman needs to be asked seven times yes. during her office. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll consider so this, like, for a like so my is that 700 number three. Child, okay, seven hundred yeah. for a second. There,
1: I actually caught my breath because I thought we were going to get like a campaign announcement, like an exclusive right there. Like I thought
2: she was going <gasps> to say right there, but this is she can't put take off the journalist yes. hat no I matter can't. what. It, it will never come for it. a it off. scoop. She's always I'll looking for the scoop. That would be well. You have to promise. you'll give us the exclusive when that happens. Okay live with that olivia it was so great to have this you is amazing. we really appreciate you coming yes. on and we know we got deep i didn't realize we were going i were not there, but, but you know what it Good. just went there it went there it and was we gonna ha- it. we were gonna have the abortion conversation was, eventually yes, and it's been pent up here a while. we are <laughs> okay. but you know what though i appreciate the work it. that you're doing we appreciate no, we how do. hard Absolutely. it is and
1: how like i'm mm-hmm. there's got to be days you go home you don't feel like oh i can't what am I doing? And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's got to be really just weighing you down, but just know that it's important work and we appreciate what you're doing. And thank you. Thank
0: you. So happy to be here and let's keep having these conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Come back. Yes, we'll do. (laughs) Thanks. The broadcast podcast is proud to be a member of the Sorgatron media family.